Hello, my friends. It's so good to be back here. Another episode of The Real Dirt. Got an exciting season this year for you, The Real Dirt. Wow, last year was incredible. And and this year, wow, it's going to show so much for the cannabis market and cannabis industry. You know, we're going to hold on by the fly by the seat of our pants. It's coming so fast and so strong. If you're involved in the cannabis industry right now, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's sitting at home, unemployed, smoking more weed than they ever have, or, you know, they maybe have a little stress or, hey, also, there's medical cannabis in so many more states now. 2001 is gonna go up in smoke. And I mean that in the very, very best way. That is my prediction is the cannabis industry is going to be one of the saviors of the country and of the planet. If we'd all just sit back and smoke a little bit of weed then, uh, you know, it, it all be a better place. And those of you who uh, consume cannabis or who work in the cannabis industry know how good this plant is. And man, dude, it has been so good. Despite of what's going on in the rest of the country, the cannabis industry just had a banner year last year. And we're going to repeat it again. So these uh, next episodes of The Real Dirt, man, we, we've got a new studio Sounds great. You can hear it right now. You can hear the bass in my voice. And I'm stoked, man. We've been running out of this bedroom in the back of my house, and it hasn't been the best and the best internet reception. But, man, we're here. We're set up for um, a very socially distanced event to have many, many guests, both on Zoom and as well here in the studio I have a huge eight-foot table. We can all be across from each other. We've got great ventilation in here. We'll socially distance and and be as careful as we can. But, man, we've got some great people from all over the world. They're going to chime in this year. And we're going to run things a little bit different this year. I hope you guys enjoy it. But I'm really, you know, in this quest for knowledge. And previously, I wanted to know people's story and understand stuff about them. You know, and I still want that. But One of the goals that we're going to have this year at The Real Dirt is we're going to answer questions. So if you have any question, and we're looking on the internet, we're looking at our Instagram, we're looking at Facebook every single day. If you have any questions about cannabis or the cannabis industry, you know, ask us at The Real Dirt and maybe we'll make an episode about it. So uh, currently we have about 35 episodes planned for this year. We'll see how it unfolds. We'll probably get a little bit more, a little bit less. But, uh, uh, man, it's going to be really informative. If you've ever apologized for all the bad quality um, recordings this past year, we're going to do far, far better this next year. But, uh, yeah, man, we're just going to grow right along. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't already subscribed, please go to The Real Dirt on iTunes and on Spotify and on Amazon and all the other major places where you can listen to podcasts. Listen to all the other episodes. You know, if you're interested in anything, you can ask us at The Real Dirt. Hey, I'm interested in this. Do you have an episode suggestion? And we'll give you a suggestion. But, you know, some of the early episodes are great, great, great information, even though they might have been four or five years ago, three or four years ago. Man, some of that stuff is just great. And you guys should all go back and listen to that if you haven't. We've got about 70, 80 episodes published right now. And, and, and man, they all have some great tidbits of information. But this year was going to be super Super high quality, super informative. And yeah, man, here, here, here we go, man. 
my first guest is John Piccarelli. Me and John have been friends for years. He introduced himself one day to me in Humboldt County right after I'd started a potting soil plant. He literally rolled by and heard that I'd started a plant, had kind of heard about, you know, what I was trying to do, Royal Gold Cocoa Fiber. This would have been like 2008. John stopped by, said hi. He had a company called Cutting Edge and still has a company called Cutting Edge where uh, he makes uh, top quality fertilizers for cannabis. And John helped me over the years tremendously. Anytime I had a question, he was there for me. And, you know, when I started selling retail product with Cultivate Colorado and then Cultivate OKC, you know, really supported John and and all of his products. And whether it's his three-part or his uncle's John's or, you know, the uh, Sonoma Gold Man, he's, he's just got some great, great, great products. He makes nutrition for plants simple. And we're going to talk to John about a couple of, a couple of things. We're definitely going to get into some compost tea and, and we'll have a few episodes here where, uh, Uncle John kind of explains it all. If you've ever met John, you know how he can go on and on and on and on and on for hours. So I'm going to, uh, try to, uh, consolidate all his knowledge into, you know, some good, good, good information we can all digest. But what I want you to do now is sit back, roll the largest joints you can, and enjoy this episode of The Real Dirt. Hey guys, I've got John Piccarelli here. He's the founder of Cutting Edge Nutrient Solution and pretty much go-to source of all things cannabis cultivation and nutrition. Uh, there should be like a Google section that's just like John <laughs> John says, Uncle John says. <laughs> Welcome, John. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Chip, and happy birthday. Oh, yeah, this is my birthday episode. Uh, for those of you who didn't get me a gift, it's okay. You still have all of next year to plan. <laughs> right. I mean, I was caught off guard myself and I've known Chip, you know, 15 or 20 years. So, yeah. Well, it, the reason you were caught off guard is because you, you were, you, you're eagerly waiting to, to tell me happy solstice in a few days from now. And you just for, forget that it's my birthday a few days beforehand. Yes. And then it gets brighter every day. It does. It gets brighter every day. So, wow, John, me and, me and you have known each other for a long time. Uh, we, we met a decade or more ago when I opened up my first Humboldt soil plant. You walked in the door one day and uh, politely uh, answered all my questions and told me how I was doing everything wrong. And now I'm successful today <laughs> because of you. Oh, I don't know, Chip, that's not true. You've been at it a long time, too. And, <laughs> you know, for me, I've been at it for 40 years, you know. I was one of those punk kids that ran away from Berkeley at 14 and started growing in Mendocino County in 1978. So I've had a little bit more time to make more mistakes than you. So I'm just telling you the advice that you think I'm giving you, I'm just telling you the mistakes I made yeah, yeah, no, and no, not no, to do this. <laughs> now you are a world renowned, uh, known as the uh, problem solver. I made that mistake for, before, you know, uh, uh, answer for, for many, 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 many things. Right. And if people don't believe it, I tell them how much it costs to make that mistake and it scares them. Yeah, absolutely. So they back up and they look at what kind of solutions that I've come up with. And 
those are pretty much our products. I sell Cutting Edge Solutions. It's one of our, our biggest sellers here at Cultivate OKC, Cultivate Colorado, throughout California. It has been called the California. It starts off as a basic three-part nutrition formula, but then there's several other additives, um, a magnesium additive, calcium additive, a cow mag. I mean, you've, you've got numerous, numerous products. The thing that's great about John's products is, one, the customer service. You guys got great customer service, the feedback that you get. But, man, you and Kevin go to see more gardens than pretty much anybody I know. I mean, I see a lot of gardens, but you guys, like, really are in the dirt, man. You know, the thing that fascinates me is that everybody has a, like, this little magic or or, or something they do. It's not magic what you're doing. No, it's, well, it's kind of magic. I mean, it's science, but science is just a small explanation for magic. And there's more magic than science. So you you don't always use your head. Sometimes use your heart. Yeah. I've seen you guys turn around more gardens uh, for sure after visits and more happy customers. Uh, Is there like one thing that, is there a common thing that people have problems with? Yeah, I would say using pH up and Mm. that locks out calcium and calcium is key. And so is phosphorus. A lot of ways that we back people out of problems is by using hum tea, which is a compost tea. And, you know, it happens to be that the topic of our episode today. Wow. Is compost tea. That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my, my grandma turned me on to compost tea. I think I've already told you this story. She, she, she made anaerobic tea with just like a jug of five-gallon bucket of manure that would fill with water and sit there forever. And then occasionally she'd get a scoop of water out of it and dilute it and pour it onto her radishes and tomatoes or, or, or whatever we were growing in the backyard, right, as, as a little kid. But I didn't know any different. Until kind of I met you, John, and you started talking about compost tea and actively aerated compost tea. Wow. If you're not composting now, it's definitely something you should think about. Mostly I recommended it for soil growers, but indoor, outdoor, greenhouse, it doesn't matter. Applying it to the soil, foiler feeding. Could I make this statement that it is the most effective thing that you can do for your garden, compost tea? It is. It's true. You know, probably what your grandmother did, you know, she used manure, broke down and she poured it on and the plants got boosted, right? They looked better. You know, going back on some of my many mistakes, one of the early ones was doing something like that. And then you do it on a larger scale than a five gallon Mm -hmm. bucket Mm -hmm. because pretty soon you, you see a little works pretty good. So you want more of it to use all at once. And then you use, make a 50, 50 gallon drum and then it really goes anaerobic. And then you get acids in it that just melt the roots when you overapply it. So then there's an application amount that you should use too. But I mean, that's how I started out was, uh, like I said, like over 40 years ago, you know, one of the benefits of being back then was you got to see cultivation going from fields and planes flying over to actual helicopter traffic coming in. And then we had to move back in the brush and then ultimately back near the tree line. And then there's a lot more microbiology that interacts with the plant then. 
But about the same time. So this is application. You, you saw this through application. You saw the biology change through application. Right. Through just trying to use the same amendments in, in, in holes or trenches and grow plants. And then, the, you know, we had to march the plants back into the brush and then ultimately back into the tree line. And then at that time, I thought just fertilizers grew plants. But then I realized by that point that it was the microbiology that was making the chemistry available. Yes. The, the, the roots, they grow the plants, don't they? And they need that proper biology around the roots in the soil in order to digest the nutrients in order to feed the plants. Right. People can argue that science all day long, but it's pretty much how, how it works. Right. Synthetic or organic. Like you have to have that biological dynamic. You do to have healthy plants. Mm -hmm. And otherwise you get diseases or bugs are attracted to them, which transfer diseases to other plants that are still somewhat healthy. So let's take this back, John. Let's let's do a couple of things. Let's talk about like what is compost tea and then we'll talk about some like things we can do with it and, and, and problems it creates and problems it solves. So how do you define compost tea? Because I know this is people say and do this all different types of ways. Right. So. You know, some people define compost tea as any compost, like we were saying before, put into drums of water and they make sun tea. And, uh, you know, about the time we were being pushed back by the helicopters, I was making sun teas and taking horsetail, which is high in silica, cutting those up, putting them in. in Wild crafting horsetail. Right. And stinging <laughs> nettle. Which yeah. is not easy easy to collect, as you think. You got to pick it when it's young. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, your your arms are thrashed. Yeah. But you know, using different herbs and making sun teas, and and that seemed to be okay. But I got more result out of it when they were when there was bubbling going on, and then I used it before the bubbling stopped, before it got completely anaerobic. And you know, I got a microscope and I started looking at things closer, and then I got bacterial stain kits for gram positive and gram negative started kind of identifying different bacteria and started looking at fungi and staining that with Prussian blue. And, and that led to just building a microbiology lab. I was kind of a kid back then. That was the early realization that you can make liquids that help the amendments in the soil. And, but compost tea, you know, you asked me that question and I started to aerate it so that I could break it down further. And then about that time, you know, it was just sort of wide open. There was not a lot of research being done using biologicals, but I started to learn how to isolate them out of healthy agricultural systems and scraping them off lichen in the forest because I realized that some of the best plants were at the drip line where lichen were. They weren't necessarily getting more sun, but they were growing healthier and they yielded better and the flavor of the better biology. Yeah. Better biology. And that's what, when I realized better biology means better flower. I mean, compost tea is new to many people, but it, it's a very old technology. I mean, I'm not sure how far back actively aerated compost tea goes. I mean, people have been bubbling compost in the liquid solution for, for a moment. Right, but it's 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 new to many people. So what we mean by this is 
we're actually injecting air of some sort and people use all types of things. Are there things you should or shouldn't use pumps you should or shouldn't use? Yeah. Some people build these elaborate brewers that spin the whole liquid inside of a cone tank. And that might be good to generate bacteria, aerobic bacteria, but not necessarily good for protozoa. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're looking for three things in, a compost tea that's aerated, as you say, by at least putting in an air stone, if not putting in lines that are perforated and bubble air up. It just depends on the size of the brewer that you're working with. Sure. I've, you know, I've, I've made probably millions of gallons of compost tea through you know, all my potting soil stuff and, and, you know, Royal Gold, we used to apply it directly on the line and use compost tea within our products. You know, I've always liked the simple air bubblers, right? I always felt those made the best, you know, product, the best compost tea, even though we've kind of used everything. I've used, you know, these jet pumps, you know, that move water around. We've used sump pumps, man. We've used, you know, just like large air pumps with a bunch of lines going into it. But for some reason... The uh, air stones, they they really do work the best. They do. I mean, you put them in the bottom of a cone tank, a lot, you know, a line that runs from the pump into the tank, and then it's at the bottom of a cone tank, and it has just the right amount of air. Mm-hmm. There's to- a bubble size, I think, what it has to do with it, because you got all those little small bubbles, and as they're turning over in the water, they're mixing everything. Right. And, you know, if you think about it, a bubble is this real like natural like thing. You know, I just like the idea of that anyway. That <laughs> I don't know if it's reality or not, but millions of bubbles mix better than hundreds of bubbles. Well, you know, it's like champagne. Yeah, it's the champagne effect. Right. It's the champagne of compost tea. <laughs> you know, and the other ones are like the jacuzzi jet of yeah. Of, of compost. Yeah, because you don't really, you don't want it really swirling. You don't want it really bubbling, right? You you just want it like moving around. You want to inject the right amount of air. Do you know if there's any math involved with this? Oh, yeah. You know, there's, uh, you know, they look at CFUs of different organisms that are in, in a, a spore state or in a cyst state, if it, which is like sure. an egg state for a protozoa take a drop of compost tea and put it on a hemocytometer. That's what you use to look at blood. But it's the same thing you use in microscopy to, to look at the population number in one drop, which is pretty much a measured amount. And mm-hmm. on this hemocytometer, it's got a graph and, and you can estimate, do a, a, a bacteria, fungi, protozoa count. Sometimes people are off on the, on the fungi because of actinomycetes, which is, you know, when you're turning your compost, you get that white fuzz on it. Yeah, yeah and totally. Then, and on the outside, right? Yeah, right and, on the inside. Right, and then you dig through that and you see all the strands. That actinomycetes is helping break down the compost, but it, it operates at a warmer temperature, which is just on the outside shell. But when you're making compost tea, a lot of times you have that in there. People mistake that for actual beneficial fungi. It's beneficial in the sense that it's breaking things down and making enzymes, but it's also uh, can throw you off if you're actually reading it. So you need a gram stain and there's a a certain way to identify that. 
But and all this stuff is inexpensive now, right? Like, you know, digital microscopes and, you know, all this equipment is readily available to people. When I started doing it 20 years ago, it was like $5,000 for a micro, you know, microscope. And but now you can get it for a hundred bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's decent microscopes for a hundred bucks. I mean, we pretty much use uh, Olympus and, and Leica microscopes, which are German lenses. And those are. Well, you guys are professionals. Of course you use Leica. Well, because we look at, a, <laughs> but that's because we look at a lot of samples, right? Sure. And so you're, you can get eye strain. It's like right. the difference between getting reading glasses and real glasses, I guess. Now, me and you and other people, we're fascinated with it all. And we might break the microscope out and, and, and notice the, the balance of uh, bacteria and fungi or protozoa over temperatures. Or, But most people aren't going to nerd out quite like that. You don't necessarily need a microscope, right? No. No, I saw that look in your eyes. <laughs> You're like, no, you got to have a microscope. Okay. Well, you know, it, you know, you were just saying it. I it's mean, just not that expensive. They're not that expensive. And, the, you know. <laughs> it's easy to use. I mean, we used to have Mavica cameras that cost like $1,400 that attached with a, a special adapter that went on the compound microscope. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. In the end, you're like spending thousands of dollars. Now you can almost do it on your phone. Yeah, right. Exactly. And uh, and they have smaller digital microscopes and digital cameras that are maybe a hundred or $200 that are, are great for taking photos and sending to someone to identify something that you think is wrong with your plant or, you know, the, the cross section of a root or, you know, many different things. So it's, it's definitely worthwhile to get these. It adds to your digital library of things that are either going right or wrong. Just another tool in the tool in the bucket. So basically compost tea is any type of compost that's dissolved in water and then we're aerating it. That's a good basic definition. Well, it doesn't have to be compost then. Yeah. I mean, to be compost tea, it should be compost. Usually it's vermicompost. Sure. Because that's, you know, high in bacteria. The earthworms are incredible creatures and get rid of all the E. coli. And, you know, that's, that's the best thing about earthworms is you use a pure earth, pure black castings, then you're not going to have any E. coli. Right. That's very true. Sometimes you could have coliform bacteria, mm-hmm. but still rare for earthworm castings, unless it's like the comp, it, unless it's not been screened. If it's just compost and earthworm castings, that's where you see the coliform bacteria. Well, it depends what state you're in. <laughs> and it's not you personally, but it's you physically. Yeah, okay. And, okay. and you know, because different states do different tests. And, uh, you know, for a while they were mixing up E. coli, which is a coliform bacteria, with all other coliform bacteria. Sure. We have coliform bacteria in our hands. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Right. It's ubiquitous, right? So, but, you know, it's it's not something that is going to harm you. Mostly compost tea is made from earthworm castings, water, and maybe, you know, a, a couple of other things. I mean, there's there's all types of recipes people use for all types of reasons. I know you guys sell a great, great product, Hum Tea, that uh, is a, a completely formulated compost tea practice, recipe or, or what do you, how do you, what do you phrase it at? Yeah. So that would be a compost tea. It's yeah. Hum got- Tea is, it's, it, do you call it an inoculant kit or a starter kit or? Yeah, we, you know, you could call it either thing. Um, you know, I'm not very good at marketing, as you know. 
from the past. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. right. You're great at sales, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, right. I'm great at application. You know, I can go in and say, right. you know, yeah, we have a spawn bag, which is a uh, a resealable plastic bag that's impermeable by pretty much anything, except it has a Gore-Tex window on it. So it allows gas exchange. And in there we have some woody material that we we grow protozoa on. The actual, let's say, compost itself is a mixture of this woody material and a mixture of earthworm castings. Mm -hmm. So the earthworm castings have really good background bacteria, fungi, and some protozoa. But we enrich that and enhance that in our in our composting process and our finishing process. So we usually have a screen of 10 important bacteria, a few fungi, and about 22 different protozoa. Mm-hmm. So you would take this out of the bag, put it into, you know, we have brewers um, that have screens, and you could put it into the screen or a, a Humpty brew ball, and that f- actual floats in any container. You know, it'll even float in a reservoir. And then we have three different containers, three different, say, pint or quart bottles, depending on the size that you buy of the Humpty inoculant. And those have certain bacteria and their food sources in there. You know, ours is a little bit more sophisticated than just taking compost from your earthworm castings and throwing it into some gauze or a, some sort of screen system and then bubbling it in, in water where a lot of people would add molasses. Cause you, you've done all the work for you with, with the hum tea. You don't have to have a microscope. You can just drop your pre-made formulated compost tea inoculant in a barrel of water or in a compost brewer, uh, any compost brewer, but uh, specifically a cultivate OKC or cultivate Colorado compost brewer that you can get at uh, in Colorado. You can order it online. Go to cultivatecolorado.com, cultivateokc.com. We've got great, great deals, better deals than you could ever get on 15, 30, 35, 45, 65 gallon brewers. All of that will will make it easier for you than just using some random container or, you know, maybe not like the easiest thing to clean. But uh, you start with a good compost tea brewer, but any type of work, right? And use the, oh, oh I see the like, oh, well, maybe not any type because we already kind of went over that. The ones that move too much water don't really work so well. Well, they work well for bacteria to generate bacteria. But so if you've got a specific bacteria you're trying to grow or want it high in bacteria, then, then you would use that. Yeah, want to use one of those high, mm-hmm. high volume mixing, spin it around, vortex type brewers. I mean, anybody can go out and make their own. Anybody can go out and get a bag of earthworm castings. They can get some back guano, some trace minerals, maybe a, a, a little, the smallest amount of some sort of sugar product. They can make their own, but man, the hum tea product is really so much better. You know, when he first came out with this, this is how John sold this product. He first came out with it and he gave it away. <laughs> and he, he taught us a lot about giving stuff away, all of us uh, in the cannabis industry. And so he would give it away at, where would that have been? I mean, he North, gave it away all over. North Coast Horticulture. North Coast Horticulture. It would have been. In uh, Humboldt County. Yeah, it would have been yeah. in Humboldt County. And people are like, oh, what do I do with this? And you're like, well, just take a gallon home and, and when your cuttings are rooted, feed it to them. Right. Oh, I'm having problems with, you know, 
my plant? Should I feed it all my plant? Well, just start on your cuttings. Take this gallon and feed your cuttings. And you sold so many people on compost tea and educated so many people on compost tea and humble tea that way off one single gallon. Changed their, changed everything for them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually Humboldt County. Humboldt County. Right. I see. And then we just did the TEA at the end. Now, is there some special biology that you've, 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 you've put into the, the, the Humboldt County? Well, yeah. You know, by, <laughs> by just raising it and generating it and then using it in a good agricultural system and then reharvesting it, you know, some of the, some of the bacteria alone, you know, there's Pseudomonas pudida and that can break down herbicides. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was working with that a long time ago, back when uh, they used to, the silvicultural practice in Mendocino County and Humboldt County was to spray hardwoods with Agent Orange that was left over from the Vietnam War. That's how long ago this was. Two, four, five, D, <laughs> yeah. it ain't good for you and me, right? Yeah, that's right. And spraying all the... <laughs> The wood weeds in the woods. They say it's going to make the wood go good. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> right. Some so, protest songs there. Right. Protest were, songs from the 90s. Right. Born right out of NorCal. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, everyone was fighting for their lives out yeah. there, literally. We got pesticide <laughs> danger. All kind of sides. Danger. Nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Reggae on the river. I hope it comes back. Oh, it will. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. will for sure. It'll be memories forever, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we still bring it to life. Yeah. And, I, you know, I would, I was giving it out at first because not just to educate people, but just to give back to the community. I can see that here in Oklahoma again, where a lot of people mm-hmm. just left because they, you know, they saw corporations rising in their state, whether it was Colorado, Michigan, Washington, Oregon, California. And they, they wanted to be back in a community of people that, that share plant material. And you really see it here mm-hmm. now. And it's good. Oklahoma reminds me a lot of uh, Humboldt in the late 90s. Yeah, right? I agree. The organic movement, the like freshness, the newness, the idea. Because even though like Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity, they're thought about and they are the, the world capital of ganja production and have been for fucking 50 years. Right. It's like Mexico, Humboldt County. Right. <laughs> right. You go anywhere in the world and right. people go, where are you from? And you say, if you say Arcata or Trinidad. Yeah. Immediately, they're like, that's in Humboldt County. You're from mm-hmm. Humboldt County. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. So I, I, I know there's a lot of haters out there, but that's just how it is. The volume of cultivators up there is just now incredible. But back then, in the late 90s, we had just gone through Operation Green Merchant. There was, you know, the the – you know, one of the bushes came in with an aircraft carrier off the coast of Humboldt. And they had National Guard. They were like, you know, stopping and searching people coming in and out of, you know, uh, highway roads that just went through national forest systems. But, you know, all kinds of illegal Gestapo type of of stuff. And in the late 90s, cannabis it was um, really, really underground. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. outdoor cultivation, it, it, it had. It for like 10 years at that point was really hard, right? You had to hide it. You had to put it under trees, 
and, and people were growing indoor. It started growing indoor and like huge farms, absolutely some of the biggest farms in the early years. Everybody seemed to have a 40 or an 80 light indoor on a generator back then. Right. Right. That That's kind of what's going on here is that it's easy to get a 200 amp license. It's easy to get a license to grow and grow under 200 amps. Maybe that's what I should say. 2,500 bucks, $3,000. You can easily get a license. And it's kind of the same way back then. It's like you could go get your prescription and grow some weed and then sell it to the dispensary. Right. They just kind of formalized it a little bit, but the same enthusiasm, right. The same old kooks coming out of the hills going, I love weed. You should grow it back in the whenever it is. And, <laughs> Right. Man, we saw it happen then because we had that. The first explosion happened in 97 there. And it went from like 97 to like 94 or something. And then there was some other changes in the laws. Like down in Mendocino, they made it legal for 25 plants for anybody. And then 99 plants, if, you know, you registered. They were one of the first registrations in the country. That was back in 2004. Right. And outdoor cultivation really started to take off again. We got rid of... uh Terry Farmer and a couple of other holdouts from the old boron drugs. And, and it reminds me all of that here. It's like the, the, except it just went differently, right? Instead of, instead of there being this big political issue, you know, the police are just like, Oh, weed's legal. Okay. Right. And, and it's, you know, not like it was in Humboldt back then where everybody fought it for years and years. And now it's like, Oh, weed's legal. Okay. People are really accepting of it here. Right. They've embraced organic cultivation like those old days in Humboldt. Remember how it used to be if you wasn't organic? Like, I mean, your friends would just like, just like rail you for it. <laughs> it's true. Remember? I mean, yeah. like what? I mean, and me and John are both hydro guys and I love organic too. And John does too. John's got a whole like organic thing too, uh, you know, uh, organic supplements, organic nutrition that we use. I got some weed over there grown by some of them. Oh, nice. It, that's all just happened in here. It's, it's it's a special time and special place in Oklahoma. And man, it's starting to happen that, that way in Mississippi and Missouri, Illinois, Michigan, right? It's this new great industry that still anybody can get into. In Colorado and in California now, anybody just can't get into it. No. Right. No. And if you if you guys are into it over there and things are going great for you, me and John are both giving you a thumbs up. <laughs> we are still there too. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're there too. We're still in Humboldt County, but we know how hard it is, man. It's yeah. hard. The building codes, everything that goes along with it, the invasion of your private property. Um, you know, touring forums here, I don't see that. I see people doing their their best. You know, instead of having to to pay regulators and go through all these different code mm-hmm. enforcement issues and wait and wait and wait and spend money on their mortgages or mm-hmm. leases or whatever. Mm-hmm. In the outlying areas of the major cities here, there's no building codes. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just yesterday at a place that, you know, there's, they spent 300,000 on a, on a, you know, state of the art greenhouse and they're putting up two more. They're putting up one first and they're going to, join these greenhouses together. But my point is that when people are allowed to do their best, they do great. Mm -hmm. And when people are held back by a regulatory industry that doesn't understand what they're doing, but wants to take 
opinions from everyone else. And a percent. <laughs> yes, let's not forget that. And, and let's not forget the percent of profit that they want to take as well. Right. And it really should just be grown and sold at, and at the end that it's being sold at. It should be taxed. Easy enough, man. Oklahoma's got a really good handle on it. That's for sure. And it's got some problems. Don't get me wrong. Back to compost tea. Couple ways, I guess, people use compost. Either they like do a soil drench or they do a foiler spray. Right. So a foliar spray would be to offset other potential plant pathogenic fungi that could be on the plant, like powdery mildew. Mm-hmm. Aspergillus uh, brazilensis will take care of that yeah, problem. Like, like I know if he's pronouncing that right or not. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of hesitant when I started because you almost it, get you, your your eyes go up in your head like you're having this brain <laughs> man moment. Well, you know, you throw out these kind of terms, and then people are, you know, they they can't catch you can't catch it. It's mm-hmm. got, it's something that's really got to be written down. But I mean, that's something that offsets and outcompetes powdery mildew which is a big issue. Going back to this farm that I was just at yesterday, you know, state-of-the-art greenhouse, really good quality uh, Quonset houses. And one is lit up and holding all the best mothers. But at the same time, they were put in not chip soil, but another soil, let's Mm -hmm. say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that soil was made from composted pine needles back east. And then what happens is it's super acidic. Oh, so there was a pH problem. Uh, to the extreme mm. where the plants were basically dying. When I looked at them a month and a half ago, the person didn't want to take them out of their 30-gallon plastic pots. So the only choice is to use a compost tea or to use hum mm-hmm. tea because the microbiology will start breaking things down and leaching out certain elements that are toxifying the plant and these are prized plants i mean they're you know compost tea one of its benefits really is is if if you have sick plants if you have plants that aren't doing so good regardless of what diagnosis you think may have compost tea will help them yeah it's true i mean it's it's like magic you see you know it's working because the leaves tip up like chicken soup it's like the chicken soup. <laughs> it is. Right. For this time of year, it's mm-hmm. flu season. Mm-hmm. You know, people are afraid to even cough in public because, mm-hmm. you know, they'll be hauled off. Yeah. But, um, you know, when you want to keep those mother plants going until the spring and you have light in order to be able to do that in a greenhouse and you're heating the greenhouse, if they're in bad soil or if they get some sort of disease because it's too humid and you don't want to open it up because it's right. too cold outside – Compost tea or hum tea is is what you need to not only foliar spray with, but run through the soil. And then that has another action when it goes into the soil. It, you know, will stimulate the plant's immune system. So there's lots of talk about dilution when you do do soil drench. Do you have a typical dilution rate or uh, how about this? What's a, because I know it's varied. What's the best dilution rate? Um, You know, you have a brewer, say it's even a five gallon bucket. When you make tea in that. You should be able to take one gallon to 25 gallons. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go thinner, you can go up to 50 gallons. One one gallon of, of compost tea or hum tea to 50 gallons. And you're going to get the benefit. Mm-hmm. You can pour hum tea straight on, and it's good to do. Pour it straight on, do it 1 to 25, do it 1 to 50. And you pour it straight on, you see a result the next day. 
Yeah. You do one to 25, it's two days. You do one to 50, it's three, maybe three days. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, one to 25 is good because, you know, brewing it is roughly like $6 a gallon. So I don't want to spend too much money, (laughs) but I want the plants to be healthy. Yeah, my experience is is exactly the same thing as if you – I think that the hum tea, it works best diluting it one-to-one because I think you can use it. I mean, I know you can use it just straight on, but most people can't afford to or the volume of it. And, you know, I also try to just use it on like just rooted plants or vegging plants so I can get the most concentrated colony forming units in one area, right? Uh, I like the one-to-one. That being said, man, like – you can pretty much pour it in any volume of liquid that you have to feed your plants, right? If you're using a 300-gallon tank even, you will mm-hmm. absolutely see benefit by making a five-gallon compost tea and pour it in there. Now, it might it work better foiler if, if you only have five gallons and you have a, you know, a garden that would require 300 gallons of water, you'd be better off foiler feeding it, I would think, uh, even if it's just on the top of the soil. Because we see people doing that too, and I've done that too, is just take the like direct hum tea, Humboldt County <laughs> wanna, with a pump sprayer, yeah. right? Right? Have you ever seen yeah. this? And oh, just yeah. spray it right on the top of the soil as opposed to the plants. And then you get to water it in, you get the like, you know, the colony to develop there. And I mean, that's, it's like three bucks for a, you know, for something like that. It's super cheap and it's super effective. And, yeah, that's a good point, Chip, is putting it in, you've got it in a sprayer, you can do full strength or one-to-one and foliar spray it. The only problem with the, the full strength is sometimes it'll clog your sprayer and you have to like screen it out anyway. Oh, yeah. Right. But if you just dilute it one-to-one, goes through the sprayer. Yeah, that's you know, true. Pretty, pretty good. And, and not use the bottom little part, just pour it on a yeah, we Yeah, we screen it out exactly and try to leave the bottoms and... When we're actively doing it, and and I don't know how you feel about this, but I just try to do back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back compost teas. And I never clean out my compost tea brewer except with water. So I'll just wash down the sides, wash down the sides, and then just start another one up. And and it works if it's back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. That seems to work great. As soon as I let it sit a few days and don't fuck with it, (laughs) i got to start over. And and that's – there's a good point in there is you're, so you're on a farm and you're using well water. Yeah. So it has no chlorine in it. Correct. Right. And chlorine isn't really a bad problem. You mm-hmm. can aerate it for 24 hours and it'll, you know, take the chlorine out. But, you know, if you're using chloramide or chloramate, <coughs> some cities use that, then you've got nitrogen injected with the chlorine mm-hmm. and it forms a more stable compound to keep the chlorine in in the pipes. Right. right. And then you have to use something like a hydrologic big boy or, you know, if you don't want that, you could go to your local hardware store and get a carbon filter that removes chlorine. And that'll also remove that. Right. So, but cause that'll, that will kill. I mean, why is it there to kill biology Mm -hmm. and you don't want to do that. So So um, don't use chlorinated water. Yeah. You know, you can, so, so back back to the foiler spray though. So, uh, uh, so we can use it as a soil drench, or we can use it as a foiler spray. How do you recommend people doing that? That's a good point. You can screen it through a nylon piece of nylon, 
and get all the particles out of it and then either do it full strength or one-to-one and foliar spray, spray the top, foliar spray the bottom of the leaves and uh, the stem. You've pretty much completely covered the plant. You can also, and this could be called foliar spraying, you could spray where the drip emitters are and that will that the water coming out of the drip emitter will drive the biology mm-hmm. down down to where the roots are mm-hmm. and if you just if you hand water same thing you could either throw it into your what you're hand watering the reservoir you're hand watering in or you could put you know just go down the tops and spray all the tops of the pots sure. or you know, the trench or whatever. Yeah. My, my first commercial application of compost tea was down in Salinas, Salinas at our first Royal Gold potting soil plant down there. And I saw people uh, spraying it on um, lettuce and cauliflower. They would say it was a foiler application. They just call it a spray, but they're spraying the plants and the ground at the same time. Right. They got these big rows and, and this stuff wasn't plastic culture. To me, it's like part of it all. It needs to go in the soil. You right. need it. You need to spray the plants. Now, what are some of the benefits of, of spraying the plants over over soil drench? Well, spraying the plants, it will knock back powdery mildew and other plant pathogenic fungi that might grow on the leaf surface. So that's the benefit there. There's, it's not really like it's going to be able to break down any fertilizers. Some people say, well, it does. It seems to boost the plant. Well, that's because they're spraying with chemical fertilizers and it's helping move those into the plant. But in general, it's just it's better to spray with organic supplements than it is to spray with NPK directly on the plant. The plant doesn't really take it in well that way. Let's talk about uh, compost tea and synthetic nutrients because this is one of the the myths or or maybe not myths, but concerns people have. Like if I'm using synthetic nutrients, can I benefit from compost tea? You can. I mean, it depends on what type of synthetic chemicals are being used. I mean, certainly if you're using urea, you know, you're you're going to kill things if you're using uh, something that's made and it's got sulfuric acid in it. You know, there's there's some harsh chemicals out there, but in general, when you go into a hydroponic store or if you want to call it a grow store, the lines of nutrients that are on the shelf are better quality. A lot of them are than say at the farm store, right? You know, right. you're not getting ag grade; you're getting possibly food grade. I mean, we use food grade in our our line of fertilizers, you know, there are other companies that use ag chemicals because it's, it's cheaper. And then people call them salts. I mean, it all, all it means is that it dissolve those minerals can dissolve in water and that it's not necessarily sodium chloride, but, you know, going back to how microbiology works and how well will it do with these different fertilizers? Well, I, I would say it just depends. But when I was working on hum tea, I developed it so that all the functional groups that do the magic, let's say, are offset by our fertilizer lines. So, because I built it so that it could be used in recirculating systems. And we have used it in recirculating systems with your, you know, uh, three-part cutting edge for sure. Uh, Thin, it works great. 
I, I gave up the organic components in flood and drain a while ago, this cause I don't want to deal with the bio by bio, biofilm or, you know, uh, clog pumps or, you know, some of the other problems, you know, that, that happened with it, but it worked great. I just prefer to keep the, the synthetic stuff in recirculating systems separate. <laughs> you know, if you've got a tank that's not recirculating, then no reason not to mix synthetic or and biological stuff together. Right? I know, I know, I'm fixing to have a flurry now that I said that. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm gonna have a flurry of people like you can't kill all the biology dies when the chemicals come in. I'm like, you just had this conversation. <laughs> you didn't listen to it. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, if, it doesn't. And we can see. And here, here's another big myth that happens: is people talk about, oh, in California, the ground's dead. Because of all of the chemicals that they've put on it. And you can't grow anything there anymore. Do you know any place in California that's like that? Well, you know, you, <laughs> you know, maybe not in the hills, but, you know, you look in the Central Valley mm-hmm. and, yeah, there are a buildup. There's a buildup of boron from the groundwater and the boron, you know, it gets to certain parts per million and there's fewer crops you can grow until finally you're left with pistachios. Mm-hmm. So, oh, oh, so they just move pistachios to those areas, right? Oh, that's why. Okay, it's, okay. It's, it's like a succession of planting, and then ultimately the uh, pistachios come out, and then they grow cotton, and then when you can't, oh, and then it's Oklahoma. <laughs> Certain people say, "Well, what caused the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma? Wasn't that the killing of all the microbiology?" No, it was all the people leaving. At once. <laughs> they're trying to get they're trying to get on the freeway first. But they're only yeah. dirt roads back then. Oh man. Oh I messed around on the freeway. You got lost. There's there's a song there. Right, right. Hotel California or something. Right. Right. But the you know, the deadlands of California, it's more like they're not dead. They just don't have they, they don't have the water quality to grow crops. Right. It, we, we've right. And and uh, and what is growing burns down. Yeah, so. I mean, water quality is a big issue here in Oklahoma and throughout the country. That's for sure. I mean, the, the water quality here is pretty poor. We almost all use RO filters. If you're in indoor, you should be using an RO filter here. Yeah, you know, I go to a lot of places here, and there, you have boron problems. That's why those farms were abandoned. Mm-hmm. So that and the fact that everybody tried to grow one type of wheat, not weed. Fortunately, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. People are growing many varieties mm-hmm. of, of weed, but wheat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what pretty much caused the Dust Bowl was uh, there was one popular wheat that everyone wanted to make bread out of in the Northeast. And so everybody ran out here, tore up the land, grew one kind of wheat. Because it was profitable, and then it became not profitable, and then all those farms were abandoned, and that's part of the reason of the Dust Bowl. Mm. All these people left; they weren't farmers to begin with, anyway. Yeah, series of series of droughts. Everybody was planting at once, over and over again. Uh, Same thing. You know, World War One. It had a huge demand of uh, uh, of food for you know uh, for that effort. Uh, everybody kind of like had several great, great years and just everybody pumped it up. Right. And right. then, then use chemical like the hemp industry. The hemp industry. Yeah, the current hemp industry. <laughs> uh, there's a Dust Bowl reference in there someplace. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hemp growing, you know, that's that's farming once again. I sell uh, hum tea to hemp growers. You know, they use very little of it, but they use it at transplant because it it uh, helps with, helps with uh, adjusting to the field from the greenhouse. I mean, the hemp industry, there's another over-regulated industry. Oh, man. Keeping people at point three has punished a mm-hmm. lot of plant breeders who... Not only that, man, it's, you know what I hate about it? This is the biggest problem, is it still differentiates cannabis growers. There's either the no THC or the THC growers. And the non-THC growers, mostly, don't get your feelings hurt if you're one of these people, mostly you're like, oh, no, I don't grow THC. It's like, come on, man, this is just the cannabis plant. Let's stop being so scared of some letters, right? right. THC, CBD, DEA, FDA. Let's stop being scared of those. Let's think about, like, the cannabis. Let's think about the plant. Let's think about the world and and and, and think about it that way instead of this just fucked up liability type human health and safety issue that they try to raise with it. We know cannabis is harmless. We've been using it for a long, long time. Very true. Yeah. All right. So, John, we've gone over a handful of things here with uh, composting. Who can most benefit from this? Is, is, this, is this just for small people? Is this just for big people? It, it, can anyone benefit from this? What are, the, what are the best scenarios for compost to use? That plants benefit from it. Anybody, any Pe- plant can benefit from people it. People are problematic. People benefit <laughs> from it only because their plants are better and it makes the people happier? Yes. Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. A regulator told me a long time ago, don't try to list too many things on a label. Mm. Just say it makes plants happy. Yeah, yeah. Happy plants. And, and this was in California. And I took that to heart because if you read our constitution, we have the right to the pursuit of happiness. Absolutely. So why shouldn't plants? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I love compost tea, man. I'm glad we kind of got to talk about all of this. I got a couple compost tea recipes I love. I love five-gallon compost tea, right? And the, the way that I like to make it, I don't know if this is right or not, but when I make it this way, my, my plants absolutely respond. I usually dilute like uh, five gallons into about 20 gallons when I do it this way, right? And that's uh, uh, that's out of sheer necessity. But I like one gallon of earthworm castings, three gallons of water. I'm going to then put in a half a cup of some type of trace minerals. And then this is where it gets a little sticky, but... I really like some sort of fish product, the fish hydroslate or the the fish emulsion. There's controversy over all of that. And then just a a, a smidgen of some sort of uh, sugar. That recipe has been great for me and many other people for years. It's so easy to follow. It's not hard at all. You, you bubble it at, you know, it needs to be over 60 degrees. Yeah, I usually almost always bubble it outside. It usually takes three or four days for the fish smell to change from putrid to sweet. And, and that's what I like about this, this thing. When's it ready? As soon as it turns sweet. I generally like the soil drench as opposed to the foiler spray. 
And part of that is because I'm scared of the uh, yeast and, and fungus tests. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that's real or not, <laughs> but I'm, I'm scared of it. And I know you can outgrow it, you know, uh, but many people spray throughout their flower period. And, and I just choose to only like spray it once or twice when they're clones, uh, feed the clones a straight compost tea and then dilute it, you know, like five to one or four to one or something like that. That's my favorite compost tea. Yeah, I mean that that sounds like a successful formula right there. Simple, easy to use. And oh, oh, kelp. I forgot anyway. kelp. There was my trace minerals. I said trace minerals, but I do prefer kelp as a for my trace mineral. Ah, see I was going to add that. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know cuz trace minerals, mined trace minerals are now harder to find, John. Um, have you looked for this lately or, or, or they might not be hard for you cuz you're in California, but they're hard to get. Yeah, you have to buy them in volume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they come from mines in New Mexico and and volcanic areas. But, you know, no one wants to go out there and truck them in anymore. That's mm-hmm. one of the problems. Mm-hmm. Cost of fuel, cost of operation. For and, something they sell for 19 cents. Right, right. So, you know, I, I keep I keep stocked up on, on all those. When I get halfway down in a container, I'll reorder because I, I like to use uh, trace minerals from a couple different locations mm-hmm. in my uh, in hum tea. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's also kelp in there, the simple things that make a great tea and, and sort of uh, feed the microbes that you want to, to step up and mm-hmm. be able to further break down what they need for the plant. So uh, if you're interested in compost tea, definitely check out uh, more information we'll have on the real dirt. Uh, Check us out at Cultivate Colorado, Cultivate OKC. You can buy all of your compost tea equipment. If you're not familiar with Cutting Edge products, how how do people look you up, John? CuttingEdgeSolutions.com. CuttingEdgeSolutions.com. Ask your local vendor. If you're a commercial grower, you absolutely need to check out the quality of the product. We didn't even go into the whole lines. This whole compost tea conversation I wanted you here for today because uh, I, I believe in compost tea. And it's something we've been talking about forever and, you know, really something that uh, I want to turn people on to. So uh, thanks for coming today, John. I really appreciate this, uh, this little chat and I look forward to having you uh, on, on in the future. Sounds good. You know, all I have to do is drive down from Tulsa now. Oh, yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll get in that whole relocation on the, the next episode. <laughs> hey, guys, thanks for joining me today on The Real Dirt with Chip Baker and John Piccarelli. If you liked this episode and you have not subscribed yet, please subscribe on iTunes. Join us on Instagram. Join us on Facebook. Uh, hey, and always comment. Always leave a message. And if you're interested in soil or, you know, any type of growing equipment, go to CultivateColorado.com. Stop in one of our stores in Denver or Oklahoma. Um, Yeah, man, we're always willing to chat. And we've got great, great, great people who are willing to answer any question you have. So there it is. The real dirt on compost tea. Thanks again.